Good morning. It's good to be with you guys today. My name is Lee Taylor. <clears throat> Work with young adults here at Village 7. And it is a blessing to get to be here today. It's, a, it's an exciting opportunity to be able to come together, read God's word, hear from God's word, lift our voices up in song. And it, it's just an, an amazing time to be able to be together. You know, one question that I think many Christians, many evangelical Christians have, have thought about through the years is what is it going to be like when Jesus comes back? What is that going to? What is that? What is that going to entail? What's it going to look like? What's going to? What's the, the just the experience of that? There's been a lot of ink spilt by scholars and theologians about this topic, and you know one thing that's kind of an offshoot of this that has probably taken a little less time from scholars and theologians, maybe a little more time from children and adolescents, and even myself from time to time has been. What are some things that maybe you want to do before Jesus comes back? <laughs> we got to go there sometimes of like, okay, if we really thought about the magnitude and the greatness of that, we wouldn't think about these things. But let's be honest, when you're a kid, you think about like, you know, I want to be able to, you know, do certain things. I want to be able to go explore. And even in Colorado, maybe you want to do every 14 or, or see the Broncos win another Super Bowl. Yes, <laughs> there's hope right now. It's, you know, first Sunday, like there's, there's still hope. Um, I'm actually a Cincinnati Bengals fan too, so it's even less hope for me. But um, you need to think about these kind of things. And, you know, I've got two daughters. Maybe I want to walk my daughters down the aisle someday. And you, and you think about this kind of stuff, and especially when you're a little kid. And like all parents, my parents have quotes from my siblings and myself that will live in infamy. And we laugh about them all the time. And there is one from my sister when she was about seven years old. And she was, uh, it was the day before she was going to a birthday party of a friend. And in the most sweet, honest, heartfelt prayer, the night before, she prays, God, I pray that Jesus would not come back before I get to go to Chuck E. Cheese tomorrow. <laughs> so funny. We think about these kind of things and, you know, even just in the context of Jesus coming back, what's it going to be like? This is actually what the disciples and Pharisees were talking about, what it was going to be like, when this was going to happen, right before our passage today. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, turn open to Luke 18. And if you look right before that, Luke 17, starting in verse 20, uh, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees about this very thing. And they were wondering what it was going to be like when Jesus came back or what, when that was going to happen. And Jesus was telling them it's going to be like, like Lot and Sodom. Or it's going to be like Noah and the ark. And people are going to kind of be going about their normal lives, going about their business. And then like a lightning strike, Jesus was going to come back. The Son of Man would return. Now imagine that the disciples were sitting there kind of like, probably many of us are today, and just thinking, okay, well, what are we supposed to do in this time period? What are we supposed to be doing, you know, between Jesus has come, you know, his life, death, and resurrection, we know he's going to come again, we're excited about that, anticipating that, but what should be our mode of operations today? What should be our mode of operations before the Son of Man returns? And Jesus tells his disciples, and he's telling us today that we are to pray and not lose heart. He says, pray and don't lose heart. Now, as mentioned earlier, uh, starting in verse 20 of, of chapter 17, 
through this passage, through verse 8, Jesus is, is talking about the kingdom. He's talking about prayer. And he's using this, what we call like a, a lesser to greater argument. Uh, and so if X, the lesser, is true, how much more would Y, the greater, be true? And we have examples of this throughout Scripture. Mark actually talked about one of these last week. And uh, earlier in Luke's Gospel, Luke 11, 11 through 13, he says, What father, this is Jesus talking, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of, of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So it's a similar argument to that kind of thing. If, you know, if, if X the lesser is true, how much more would Y the greater be true? The judge here would be the lesser in this, in this parable. And therefore, less willing to show justice to the widow and the greater here would obviously be our just God and how he would even greater, more speedily give justice to his people. So now that we kind of know what kind of argument we're working from, let's, let's look at our passage, look at verse one, because in our parable today, Jesus tells us the point of the parable right from the very beginning. I'm sure there was a lot of times when the disciples were kind of like, why can't you do this every time? I'm a little confused. I don't really know what's going on. And, and this time Jesus says, this is essentially the point of this parable right from the start. Verse one of chapter 18. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. The parable, the point of this parable is that we are to pray and not lose heart. There it is. I guess we can close in prayer, right? <laughs> but we are to pray and not lose heart. Now, verses two through eight will kind of flesh this out a little bit. It'll give us three examples that we have from the text of, of kind of why we're to be persistent in prayer. Why, are we, why should we pray and not lose heart? It seems like a really easy thing to do. You think about your own lives right now. There's just, there's moments, there's things that we go through where that seems like the easiest option. It seems like the most realistic option to just, to lose heart. And so Jesus gives us some examples here. So we're to pray and not lose heart for three reasons. One, we know that adversity is going to come. We can pray and not lose heart because adversity will come. Secondly, God is sovereign Pray and not lose heart because God is sovereign. And three, we will pray and not lose heart because we long for the kingdom to come. So look at verse two. Adversity will come. We can pray and not lose heart because adversity will come. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. So there's a judge here who didn't fear God and he did not respect man. Now, in short, he's lacking the very two qualities that would probably make a judge a good judge, right? You think about King Jehoshaphat for a second. He appointed judges for Judah. This is what he commanded to the judges in 2 Chronicles 19, 6 through 7. He said, consider what you do, the king said, for you judge not for man, but for the Lord. He is with you in giving judgment. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, 
For there is no injustice with the Lord our God or partiality or taking bribes. So that's kind of the standard of what we have even from King Jehoshaphat about what these judges are supposed to be like. And we know from Jesus's example with this parable that this judge lacked those things. He neither feared God nor respected man. And if you're that kind of judge, you might be the kind of judge that would be interested in working out some kind of bribes or some kind of, you know, trying to, you know, get some kind of gain from people in order to help yourself out while you're helping other people. But the only, you know, the thing with this example is that this widow probably had nothing to, to bargain with. There was, there was nothing that she could bribe him with in order to, to, in order to gain justice for her account. She probably didn't have a whole lot of notoriety in the, in the culture, in her context, amongst her circles of influence, if she even had any. And so this judge that might be willing to take those things, take those kind of bribes, she doesn't even have anything to offer him. Her only tool to her advantage, the only real mechanism, the really only thing that she can do was be persistent. That was going to be the key. That was the only thing she could really use to her advantage. The widow's persistence in this parable and our persistence in prayer when we face adversity, when we face intimidating opposition, our only thing that we have in that persistence is to be able to to continually, continually be on our knees before the Lord, persistently praying. And this could not be contingent upon how intimidating her adversity was. She knew that the persistence was going to have to push through that. It was going to have to push through how, you know, scary the opposition or the the authority that this judge might have. Now, we know that the last century provided us with many examples of intimidating opposition and authorities. You know, many Christians felt the full wrath of the Nazis when many of these Christians, you know, were helping Jews escape the Nazis and were hiding them and, and sheltering many of them. And one famous uh, woman that was known for this and who suffered horribly under Hitler is Corey Tim Boom. And this is one of the things that she said during this time. She said, we have failed. She said, we should have made the people strong for persecution rather than telling them Jesus would come first. Tell the people how to be strong in times of persecution, how to stand when the tribulation comes, to stand and not faint. I think there's an important thing that we can learn from that quote from Cory Tim Boom, even from our text today. And that is that persistence in prayer, persistence in prayer will give us confidence when we face opposition. Because adversity will come. You know, I've kind of adopted a simple prayer that's, that has helped me during intimidating times, that has helped me when I've faced opposition. And I've, I've adopted this from my father-in-law, Becky's dad. Um, and this is something that he would pray for Becky and her siblings when they would be going into something really intimidating or um, a tough conversation with a friend or a job interview or something. And it's not, it's not, you know, life-changing in the sense of, 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 of what it is, but he would pray, Lord, will you walk into this situation with Becky? Will you, will you walk through the door? 
Will you take her by the hand? Will you go into that, that job interview or whatever? Will you sit beside her? Now, that's not a life-altering reality. Many of us all believe and know that God is always with us, but if we actually thought about that, how would that transform us in those moments when we face opposition? If we knew that, that God was always with us, that he's there for us, that prayer, that persistence in prayer, that reliance upon God and trusting him will increase our confidence when we face opposition. So we know that adversity is going to come. Secondly, God is sovereign. We can pray and not lose heart because God is sovereign. He's in control of all things. He hears our prayers. He loves us. He's good. Look at verses 4 through the beginning of verse 8. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. God hears our prayers. He's sovereign. He's in control of all things. Now, but I also realize this is probably one of the hardest things about prayer. This is one of the hardest things because we are going through really tough, daunting things, situations. Many of you in this room are going through unbelievably hard circumstances, dealing with tragedy and loss. And you have a really hard time reconciling God's goodness and his control in light of what you're going through right now. And, and, I, and I'm in the same camp. <laughs> this summer, from, uh, there was a stretch of a couple months this summer where it felt like every single time I was going to pick up the phone, I was going to be hearing about something else that was just overwhelmingly difficult. Hardship, brokenness, things that were just really difficult in my family and a lot of my friends. And, and you, you get to these situations and you don't have words. You don't know what to pray. There's, there's some of you that would come up to me that knew some of these things that were going on and you'd say, Lee, how can we be praying for you? And I, and I would say, I don't know. I don't know what to pray for. And it, it is extremely difficult to navigate those kind of things. And if that's you in here, if you're, if you're feeling that sense of, of just overwhelmed by the magnitude of what's going on in your life and having these feelings of even just hopelessness and doubt, first of all, realize that is a normal thing in the Christian life to encounter that kind of hardship and to not know what to do. But also know that we really, as a staff here at Village 7, will you please come find one of us and talk to us about these things that you're going through? I can guarantee a couple things. One, we're not going to have all the answers. <laughs> not even Mark. <laughs> we're not going to have all the answers, but here's what I can also guarantee is that we will, you'll have an arm around your shoulder. You'll have someone to walk with you through this, and it's not because... You know, like I said, we have all the answers. It's not because of that. It's because we go through it as well. And we, we are navigating this life. And, and, and I understand how hard this can be. And I think that's one of the reasons why we have this parable. 
It's because, I think one of the reasons we have this parable because there's people in the first century, Jesus' disciples, you know, these people that were following him around and many of us even to this day find, found it very easy to lose heart in our prayer life. And I think that's one of the reasons why we have this parable because it's easy to lose heart in our, in our prayer life. It's easy to lose heart in our relationship with the Lord. And I think Jesus wants to meet us in that moment and to be able to understand the, the joy that it is can, to trust him, to rely upon him. You know, one of my favorite movie quotes of all time comes from the movie Rudy. And if you've seen that before, it's about uh, Rudy Rudiger. It's a true story. Uh, little guy, not super athletic. Uh, his goal in life was to play football for Notre Dame. He scratched and claws his entire life to try to get to this point, you know, getting into a community college, trying to make grades, trying to be able to transfer over and get into Notre Dame, maybe walk onto the team. And that's like his life goal. And he's getting to that point. He's getting closer. He has this relationship with this priest, Father Kavanaugh, who's helping him along the way. But he's feeling hopeless because he's gotten denied several times. And he's at the very, you know, last few moments of before it's even a chance to get in. And he's sitting there in a church and and is just feeling hopeless. And, you know, he's like, maybe I haven't prayed enough. Is there anything I can do? Is there anything you can do for me? This is what he asks priest Kavanaugh. And Father Kavanaugh responds like this. He says, son, in 35 years of religious study, I've come up with only two hard, incontrovertible facts. There is a God, and I'm not him. <laughs> now, I think we probably have a few more facts than that, but... You get the point. Do you believe that God is sovereign, that he is in control of all things, that he hears your prayers, that he loves you, that he's good? The persistence of this widow with an unrighteous judge leads to him listening and responding favorably to her prayers. How much more can we trust our perfect and holy and loving father that's the point of this parable. How much more can we trust our God who loves us, who's there for us, who created us? For those of you that are parents in here, think about how much you love your children and you want to hear from them and you, and you take great joy of spending time with them and being with them. Some of the time. <laughs> how much more would our perfect and holy God want to hear from us, love us, respond favorably. Now I know what some of you might be thinking in here is that, well, God seems to not answer my prayers in favorable ways sometimes. And that's, and that's a reality. How is, how is that a demonstration of love? How is that a demonstration of being a good father when he answers prayers in ways that I don't think the way he should have answered them. Or he's not answering them. I, mean, I do know sometimes that we can, we can connect the dots between certain things. You know, every once in a while, if, you, if you've gone through something extremely tragic and, and heartbreaking, and then you have a friend that goes through a very similar situation, you can see, oh, maybe I went through this situation so that I can help this person go through that situation. And we can kind of see the bigger picture. 
Or maybe, you know, we think about like Christian missionaries that are, that are persecuted overseas and they can see the greater picture of the gospel going forward, people coming to faith as a result of the, what's happening to them. But sometimes we don't see that. Sometimes we don't see the connections. And what are we supposed to do in these kind of moments? And I think that's where we have to respond in faith and remember the words of Father Kavanaugh, that there is a God and I'm not him. It's actually an extremely biblical statement. This is what the Lord says through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We can't always know why, but here is one of the pivotal questions for today. One of the pivotal questions of the faith. Is God trustworthy? Is he trustworthy? Some of y'all might have heard of the, the, the chair illustration concerning belief. You know, you, you have a chair, the chair is over here. From what I can tell about chairs, it looks like a standard chair. <laughs> it would probably hold up my weight if I went over and sat in it. From what I know about chairs, never built a chair. But I think that's what it could do. But the knowledge of that chair <laughs> and what it will do will change to belief and trust when I actually go and sit in the chair. When I say, oh, I'm going to actually let it hold my weight and do what it's supposed to do. It's when knowledge kind of moves to faith and trust. Now, I will say I have an interesting relationship with trusting chairs. Um, completely true story. Uh, two times, not once, twice, when I was in high school, I come down to sit in your just standard high school desk and it, I, I go and sit down, not once, twice, smack to the ground, smashes my legs. I'm like crushed to the ground in front of the entire classroom, supplies everywhere. I mean, completely and utterly just to the ground. Now, let me just say, it's not easy to recover socially from that. Yeah, I didn't date any girls from any of those two classes. It's not Becky and I's, you know, love story. <laughs> but you understand that, that the knowledge moves to faith. The knowledge moves to faith in our prayer life. When we pray persistently, no matter the result. A knowledgeable prayer, what we know to be true about God, that really takes root. It really sinks down deep into faithful prayers when we pray persistently, no matter the result. The persistence of this widow gives us that reality of continually going, continually pleading. And she's with an unrighteous judge. How much more can we with a righteous judge? Paul Tripp, who's a pastor and author, has a, a, these, his morning mercies. And I was reading one of these the other day, little devotionals. And this is what he said. I may not understand what is happening and I may not know what is coming around the corner, but I know that God does and that he controls it all. So even when I'm confused, I can have hope because my hope does not rest on my understanding, but on God's goodness and on his rule. 
So we pray and we don't lose heart because adversity is going to come. We pray and we don't lose heart because God's sovereign. And we pray and we don't lose heart because we long for the kingdom to come. Last thing, look at the last part of verse 8. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Is the Lord going to find people on earth who are praying and waiting in anticipation? Is the Lord going to find people on earth that are persistently praying in anticipation? We are persistent in prayer because we long for the kingdom to come. And several commentators on this passage would argue that needs to take up the vast majority of our prayer life, praying for Jesus to come, having a longing for the kingdom, having our hearts just ache for Jesus to return, for him to restore. That's what this series that we've been going through on Sunday mornings has been all about. Kingdom-centered prayer, longing for the kingdom, having our hearts just stirred for Jesus to make all things new. And for us to just be shining a spotlight on what God is doing to the, the, to the brokenness around us, to the brokenness in our city and in our world. Are we longing for that? And a prayer is not an easy discipline. And it might even feel unproductive at times. Are we praying for those kind of things? Are we longing for that? Now, I'm, I'm a Southerner. I don't have the Southern accent, but I'm a Southerner. And one of the things, I can help explain it this way. I, I love to cook. We, in the South, we love to, we love to talk about food. We love to eat food. We love to just be around it. We love to go to restaurants. We love to talk about what we're going to go eat. It's just the thing we do. And when we cook food, I, I, I like to grill. I, you know, you get stuff on the grill. You get, the, get it fired up. And, and Becky knows when I get the grill fired up, like it's going to be this whole process. It's going to take time. You got to get it started. You got to get the meat on there. You got to, you got to start rotating it. You got to baste it. You got to get yourself prepared. And as you know, you're smelling it, you're tasting off little pieces. You know, it's this whole process. And as that's going on, am I excited about what I'm going to eat? Yes. But here's the key. I actually enjoy the process of anticipation. I actually enjoy that process. And if we think about that in the context of kingdom-centered prayer, are we enjoying the process of prayerful anticipation? Are we enjoying the connection that we have with the Lord while we are longing for him to return? Are we pointing others to that thing? Is that, is that arousing our, our hearts and our love for God and for what he's doing? This is what kingdom-centered prayer is all about. We can draw many applications from this. Should we be praying for our families? Yes. Should we be praying for our friends and the people in our circles of influence? Yes. However, I think the primary application that we have from this text is that we should be praying and anticipating for God's kingdom to come. We need to be anticipating and longing for Jesus to come back. This is the primary point of Jesus' question in verse 8. Will Jesus find faith on earth when he comes back? Will he find people prayerfully and persistently waiting for him? Will there be people longing for the kingdom? That's my question for you, brothers and sisters of Village 7. Are you praying for it? Do you long for it? Do you enjoy the process of prayerful anticipation? Now, we actually have a just judge. 
so we can pray and not lose heart because of our just judge when adversity comes. We can pray and not lose heart because we trust the sovereignty of our just judge. We can pray and not lose heart because we long for the kingdom to come of our just judge. And when we think about justice and injustice in this world, the cross is the greatest act of injustice that this world has ever seen. But it is also the greatest act of grace that this world has ever seen. Those who put their faith in Jesus Christ are declared righteous by the just judge because Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, became sin on our behalf, on your behalf, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Have you received the great grace of our just judge Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? May we respond to the grace of the gospel in faith and may we be a people who pray and don't lose heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would stir an affection for you in our hearts, that we would know you and love you, that even when adversity comes, we would pray and not lose heart. We would trust your sovereignty, your power, your guidance, your plan, because you are the just judge. And how much more would you be willing to give justice to your elect, to your people? I pray, Lord, that you would also just give us faith, give us a longing and an anticipation for your kingdom, that we would shine a spotlight on your gospel here in Village 7, we shine a spotlight on your gospel in Colorado Springs. We shine a spotlight on your gospel in this world that people would look at us and they would see your goodness and your truth, your word, the beauty, the righteousness of your son, and that many people would know you. Help us pray for that, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.